0: Our scripture reading today comes from first Kings chapter three, verses three to twenty-eight. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, Recording in progress. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, and God said, "Ask what I shall give you." And Solomon said, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you." And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at, my, at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is a living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O my lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you once again for this day that you have made that we can enter into this place to hear your word and to offer up our thanksgiving and our prayers. Now in the hearing of your word, help us to hear your word for us. And in that hearing, help us to obey and to deepen our love for you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. We are continuing uh, with our quick jaunt uh, through the narrative lectionary. Last week, we heard about David and his crimes against Bathsheba and Uriah and their families. And from that moment on, for the rest of the history of Israel, David will reap what he sows. And his family, as well as the kingdom to follow, will tragically spiral downward. One of his sons in the coming uh, chapters will commit rape against his half-sister, and then her brother will murder him in retaliation. He will then lead a civil war against his father David, forcing him to flee Jerusalem. Then, during an ensuing battle against David's explicit orders, his general Joab will murder David's rebellious son. And so when David is about to die, rather than a smooth succession to the next king, his sons battle for the throne. And Bathsheba successfully schemes with the prophet Nathan to have David declare her son, Solomon, as the next king. Someone commented that what follows is like a scene from the Godfather movies when after the death of Don Corleone, Michael, as he's becoming the godfather to his nephew in the church, at the same time he sends his henchmen to eliminate all of his competitors, including his brother, to become the head of the Corleone crime family. It's a fair comparison. Prior to our reading this morning, Solomon had sent his assassin, Benaiah, to kill his older stepbrother, Adonijah, who by birth order had the more rightful claim to the throne. Then, in compliance with his father's dying wishes, he again sends his assassin to kill David's nephew and former general Joab, even though Joab had sought refuge in the tent of the Lord. Solomon then once more sends his assassin to kill Shimei for having once cursed his father David. And afterwards, Solomon marries a daughter of Pharaoh, In a questionable alliance with Egypt, which will prefigure his downfall through idolatry that will be introduced by the first of his many wives. And that brings us to our reading this morning. It begins with a very positive statement. In the aftermath of all this bloodshed, it's good to hear Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. That's something that was never even said of King David, who is kind of the the marker of what it is to follow God. Solomon loved the Lord. As we like to say in my family, in imitation of Nicolas Cage, that's high praise. I'm the only one actually who says that in my family. Solomon loved the Lord. That's high praise. He loved the Lord. But that sentence continues with only... He sacrificed and made offerings at the high places only. This little conjunction highlights this contrast. He loved the Lord, but only, except, however, he sacrificed in the high places. He went to Gibeon because apparently they had the the highest of these altars. Now, we have to say that at this point, Solomon had not yet built the temple, and so perhaps you could excuse him for worshiping elsewhere. He's been too busy building his own palace to focus on the temple and the walls around Jerusalem. There is no temple yet, but the Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem, and we know that, and he knows, that Jerusalem is where the Lord resides, and that is where he's supposed to worship. And the high places throughout scripture are identified with idol worship and syncretism. And future kings will be commended for the destruction of these high places. Solomon loved the Lord, but he went to these high places. He's in Gibeon, and there he has a dream in which God commands him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon famously, of course, asks for wisdom an understanding mind or a listening heart and considering the ruthless actions that he has taken and wiping out his enemies it's an unexpected answer as the newly established king and based on his actions so far it's surprising that he does not ask for the typical trappings of power and of kingship and instead asks for wisdom to discern between good and evil to better rule this people whom he acknowledges to be the people of God? It's a good answer. And so God is pleased and God promises to give him what he asks for, this wisdom and much more. And when Solomon awakes, he he leaves Gibeon and returns back to Jerusalem and worships God in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And that may be an indication of his deeper commitment to God And a sign of the wisdom that he has just received. Solomon's wisdom is then publicly demonstrated in the story that follows. And you all know this story. Two women each claim that a living infant is theirs. And that the dead infant belongs to the other woman. And Solomon in his wisdom calls for the living child to be split in two with a sword. So that both mothers can have half of the living infant. And hearing this judgment, one of the women cries out, preferring that the child live, even if she cannot have that child, while the other woman coolly accepts the judgment. And so Solomon concludes that it must be this distraught woman who had compassion on the child that must be the real mother, and gives her the living child. I can remember as a kid, and, and long before I became a father, I thought this was pretty cool. I thought this was a really, you know, uh, clever way of trying to determine who the mother is. But now I- I'm not so sure. Now we assume that this was just a ruse to draw out the truth, and that Solomon would never actually carry out his commands to kill this infant. But considering his previous actions, we can't be entirely sure. As modern readers, I suspect most of us feel at least a little bit uncomfortable that Solomon is so cavalier with the life of an infant. Imagine if you were in a court of law today and a judge did something like this. It seems more like a crazy calculated gamble that just happened to turn out well rather than genuine wisdom. Now, some of you may be wondering, and rightly so, why didn't Solomon use his wisdom to pursue a less shocking and a less dangerous line of questioning? In all his wisdom, why didn't he pick up the inconsistencies in the testimony of the women? For example, the one woman claims that she was so soundly asleep that she didn't even realize that her baby had taken, been taken from her. And yet she somehow knows exactly when that switch was made and even how that other infant died. How is that possible? Instead of accepting the testimonies, why didn't he look more into it to cross-examine and ask at least a few more questions? How about sending a few of his soldiers to really find out if there were no others in the house, that there really was no witnesses And shouldn't he at least consider the possibility that one or both women might be acting or bluffing her emotions? And why wasn't the other woman punished at all? Now, his judgment may be correct, and the rightful mother received her child back. But I think we are right to question the wisdom of his methods. I want you to know that these questions are not just the questions of modern skeptics. In the first century, the historian Josephus commented that there were those who were present in Solomon's day who were not convinced that he had acted wisely, but that, quote, all the people secretly made fun of the king as of a boy. Similarly, in the second century, the rabbi uh, Ben Eli wrote, If I had been there, I would have put a rope around Solomon's neck for one. Dead child was apparently not enough. No, he had the command that the second be divided in two. Solomon's reputation for wisdom is, of course, legendary. But just because someone is reputedly wise, it does not mean that every decision that they make is necessarily wise. Solomon was given the gift of wisdom, no question. And perhaps he acted wisely in this judgment. But as we read the rest of his life story, he did not make good use of the wisdom that had been given him. The great irony and sadness of Solomon's life is that he had this incredible wisdom. He was wise enough to ask for wisdom. And yet, when he received it, he did not have the wisdom to use that wisdom To live wisely, I'm sure you've all had people in your life who you thought were wise and who gave you great life advice. And yet you might see them later make the mistakes that they warned you against. I'm sure I and others have told you many times to eat healthy and to exercise. That's good advice, that's good life wisdom. I generally give that advice, and I generally try to live by it. But I have to tell you, this week, I've been eating way too much chocolate because my wife made the terrible mistake of buying Halloween candy a week early. Someone in my house opened that bag, and so, you know, snacking on Snickers all day is not wise. I know that. I would advise you against it. But of course, I could not help myself. Solomon wrote Proverbs. People from all over the world came to listen to his wisdom, to get his advice. And yet he failed to listen to the most fundamental of his own wisdom. He repeatedly wrote in the scriptures the fear The reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything begins with an odd reverence of God. That's the foundation of wisdom. And yet we read later in his life, 1 Kings chapter 11, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly follow the Lord. And Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Not only did he worship in these high places, at the end of his life, he began to build these high places. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. The writer is blaming his wives, but, it, but it's him. He turned his heart. He lost his way. He lost sight of God. He forgot the most fundamental, the most fundamental piece of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And the Lord only is the beginning of wisdom. He had asked for wisdom to rule his people wisely. And he was given that gift. But he did not use that gift of wisdom to rule his people wisely. In fact, he will push his people to the breaking point with excessive toil to complete his massive building projects. His policies of conscripted labor will lead to a civil war after his death. And worst of all, he led his nation down this path, the people of God whom he acknowledged, down the path away from the worship of God and the worship of idols. It's a warning to us. Sometimes we genuinely do not know what to do. But I think most of us, most of the time, know what the right thing to do is. We have wisdom about how to live our lives. We have the scriptures. We have the spirit of God who lives in us. We have the community of faith to guide us. We know the life of faithfulness to which we are called. But the problem is that we do not have always that willpower, and the discipline to be in obedience. And we forget that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon may have possessed more wisdom than anyone before or after him, but in the application of that wisdom, he ultimately failed. Let me just make one reflection with you this morning. If God suddenly appeared in your dreams and said, ask what I shall give you, how would you respond? I want to point out that this question that God asks is not phrased as an uh, an interrogative. God isn't saying, hey, what should I give you? It's an imperative. He's commanding Solomon. He's commanding Solomon to state what it is that he really wants. You and I may not have a vision like this, But this command applies to all of us. I think God demands of us that we answer this question What is it that you really want? What is it that you really want? Just as Joshua had earlier told the Israelites at Shechem choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Be honest. Search your hearts. I'm sure that we have all fantasized about what we would do if we won the lottery. What is it that you really, really want? Don't answer what you think you should want, but what is it that you really, really want in the depths of your most inner being? And whether you admit it to yourself or not, whatever that is, that's your God. That's what your whole life is ultimately geared toward. That's the end toward which you are living your life. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, anything in my name, in my name, I will do it. We have this incredible promise that if we ask anything in his name, He will do it. So as those of us who are in Christ, who profess to be Christians, in Christ, right? What is it that we really want? What is it that we want to ask? A pastor by the name of Tim Bogus um, said that the most perfect prayer he ever heard came out of the mouth of a six-year-old boy. And it's hard to uh, dispute this. He said that a mother told him that her son was at a swimming pool and he was standing at the deep end of the pool and he just stood there for a while, kind of anxious, a little bit afraid and uncertain whether or not to jump in to the deep end. Finally, when it looked like he might just walk away out of fear, he looked up into the sky, he folded his hands and he said, Lord, give me skills or give me gills. And then he jumped in. Give me skills or give me gills. That is is a good prayer. If you're going to jump into the deep end of a pool, skills or gills, those are the two best options. He asked for what he really wanted. And that's what Solomon is doing. That's his prayer. Notice that God asked him, you know, what do you want? And instead of answering God, God, I would like this, he begins by acknowledging God's steadfast love. He recognizes and admits that his position is due to God, that he is his servant, and that God has called him to be a king, and that he lacks the skills and the gills. He calls himself a little child, not because he's young, but because it's an acknowledgement of God's great power, and his inexperience, and perhaps he's regretting some of the actions that he had taken earlier in his kingship. And so he comes before God in acknowledgement of his own inadequacy and before God in humility. He understands that the task that he has been given to govern God's people is beyond his current skill set. And so he asks for the skills that he will need to govern well. I think this ought to be our prayers. God has called us. He has called us as his people to a divine task. We have a mission as a body, as the body of Christ. And because God has called us, God has promised us that we will have everything that we need. Not because we are great, not because we're deserving, but because God has called us We can ask for the wisdom and the skills that we need to do our job faithfully for the glory of God. Whatever work it is that you do outside of the church too, whatever vocation to which you have been called, whatever ministry of competence through which you can bless the world, God will supply that need. In fact, I know that God has given each and every single one of you a gift for the sake of this body, for this church. It may not be world-class wisdom like Solomon, but you all have a gift to bless others for us and for the glory of God. And this gift that you've been given has to be used. Don't let it gather dust in the recesses of your mind. If God gave you the gift of teaching, use that. If God gave you a love for children, exercise that. If God gave you the gift of cleanliness, well, this is your time to shine. (laughs) Solomon learned the truth of the promise that Jesus will make later in the Sermon on the Mount. When we pursue God's kingdom, God's agenda, God will supply all our needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and All these other things, everything else that we need, everything else we may desire, secondarily will be added to us. That promise remains true. Let me close with this. I don't want you to think, after all this, that if you somehow come before God humbly with the right attitude and you make your prayers correctly, that God is somehow bound to answer you. Remember that Solomon loved the Lord, however, he went to the high places and that really is characteristic of our lives isn't it let's acknowledge that we love the lord only we can't quite seem to give god our full devotion we have our own high places whatever that may be maybe it's your careers maybe it's your families maybe it's your health your comfort baseball Fantasy football, whatever it may be. Even after a sincere recommitment and covenanting, even after humble prayers, even after a vision that we might receive from God, we are still prone to wander. But here's the good news the Christian life is not like the Wizard of Oz. We are not on a quest to find God, to beg him for what we need. It's true that Solomon is said to have loved the Lord and that in his prayers he approached God appropriately in the proper attitude of humility. But note that it is God who came to him first. It's not that he prayed and God answered him. Despite the fact that he had endangered his kingdom, despite the fact that he was worshiping in a dubious place, God came to him in Gibeon, in the wrong place, and offered him this gift. Now, I'm not suggesting to put yourself in a bad place so that God can come to you. But that God can, even in those moments, speak to us. God's gift of wisdom, like all of our gifts, all that we have is always given to us by grace by God, there are no self made people in the kingdom of god it 's all grace it 's all gift, like Solomon, most of us will claim that we love God, but there is this always and only a however except but our love for God is always imperfect, and we must of course strive and pursue a more perfect way but always remember it is God who takes that initiative to come to us first this is our only hope this ultimately is our only hope this is the good news of Jesus Christ not that we first loved God but that he first loved us may that assurance lead you to a deeper commitment and love of God Away from the high places that compete for your affections. And don't let the gifts of God gather dust. Use them for the building up of his glorious kingdom. Let's pray together. James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He further reminds us, you have not because you ask not. So let's ask. Let's search our hearts and see what it is that we really, really want. May that be something worthy of being asked. And let's use that for the greater good of God's church and God's glory. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the reminder that it all is you and that you will give to us what we ask in your name for your glories. Mold and shape our hearts, God, to want what is good, to desire you above all else, Help us, help us to live our lives with that wisdom that comes from you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.